Good. Just a very, very brief recap uh, for those who weren't, and perhaps more importantly for those who weren't here last week. Uh, Jonathan started the series on uh, the book of Ezra. Um, and I just put this map up here, uh, which shows the, the, the chapters one and two that Jonathan looked at was the, the journey of the, uh, the people of Israel from exile in Babylon uh, at around 536 B.C., uh, and that's where they came from, Babylon on your right-hand side, across to Jerusalem. And when you look at the scale of the map there, just to put that in context, that's around about 500 miles, more than 500 miles across really rough terrain. So, yeah, we, it's sometimes easy, isn't it, when we read the Bible and we just sort of see, oh, the people went from A to B. Actually, that was some journey um, for this huge crowd of people to uh, go across from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And Jonathan focused on one verse in particular last week, on uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, which says, Then the family, heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, and this is the part of that verse that he focused on, uh, everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And Jonathan left us really with the challenge to say, are we content to stay where we are, or do we want to open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit and journey with him and to be the people that God intended us to be? I don't know whether you thought about that this week or whether this has just reminded you again, but that's really our starting point for for today, that that same challenge. And so we follow on uh, from that now into uh, chapter 3. We're not actually going to read, I'm not going to read all of chapter 3 out now. Okay, what I would invite you to do though is if you can find a Bible, there should be enough Bibles around, if you can find a Bible, turn to Ezra chapter 3, it's on page 456, and we're going to look up various verses. Sorry? Oh, is it? Sorry? Oh, right, sorry. It's for, oh, right, two, two different verses, versions maybe. Yeah, 456 or 475, yeah. Good. Okay. You'd actually notice up there that whilst the the theme in the notices is about rebuilding, I think what you'll find as we actually look at this uh, chapter here today, that the main theme actually is about worship uh, and and in a way sort of rebuilding on the basis that these were a worshipping people. So I've actually put Ezra chapter 3 and headline the word worship there, because that's actually what this chapter is is about primarily as well. Good. Okay. So, priorities. A lot of this is all about priorities. Now, there's no doubt we, we live in a really busy world. And I, I always find the great irony of this is, is that uh, in an age of having more time-saving devices than the world has ever known, Uh, More people than ever appear to be busier than ever. I don't quite get how that works, but it's true. It's certainly true in my life. And so much of our lives can be dictated by uh, work, 
by family in one way or another, our homes. And then there's this endless amount of other things that we can fill our lives with, uh, which will be different for many of us. Any spare moments, be it sports or exercise, is, is one of the big things nowadays. Uh, pets, TV. How many channels have we got now? We can go up to 800, I think, can't we? Yeah, whoever does that. Um, and you've got your email, endless email, Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not ever going to be on Facebook. But Facebook, tweeting, I know about it, but I've never done it, and I never intend to do it. Okay? And of course, for many of us here, hopefully, time, spending time with God. That spiritual exercise of spending time with God. But in all of these things, if you're anything like me, I find myself every day, more or less, prioritising having to choose where to spend the the limited, the very limited amount of time that we have. Whilst life for the Israelites in 537 BC, so that's almost over two and a half thousand years ago, was nothing like life in 2016. If you talk to them about Twitter and Facebook, I think you were uh, from a different planet probably. Um, They too, I'm going to suggest, were really busy. These people were really, really busy people at this time. And they'd recently moved and gone on that journey uh, to this location. And we, we read from the, the, the verses in Ezra that, the, that where they returned to, much of it had been destroyed. A lot of it was desolate. There was not really a great deal there. Sadly, you know, when I was thinking of this, I thought, sadly, this, you know, we don't, we actually don't have to think too hard about this now, do we? Because almost day in, day out at the moment on the news, we see pictures of Syria or other parts of the world, but particularly Syria at the moment, that have been completely destroyed and are desolate because of war and the things that have gone on there. So we don't need to stretch our imaginations too far to see what a desolate city looks like. But somehow in returning to this, these people had to uh, uh, find somewhere to live. And aside from sorting out basic living accommodation, I can't help but think it must have been really, really tough in terms of just the very basics of finding food and water. How do you find food and water when you return to something like this and somehow some way of making a living You can imagine the impact of almost 50,000 people arriving in this region at the same time, all seeking food and water and something to do, something to make a living with. That gives us the context of the lives that these people had and how busy it must have been just to survive, literally just to survive there. Yet in all of that busyness, In verse 1, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, the people took time out to gather together. It says, when when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled with one accord in Jerusalem. Other verses stress how it was all of the people to one man, nobody missing. They were all there. They all gave the time. And why were they there? In verse 2, we see... 
Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests in Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, picked a verse there, didn't I? And his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings. The whole purpose for their gathering was to meet together to worship. Why? Why did they want to do that? Well, first and foremost, they probably wanted to give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for their uh, release from captivity and the return from that exile and captivity to their rightful home, to the place where God had intended them to, to be. In addition to this, though, these people, let's not forget, were on a mission. They were actually on a real mission to rebuild the temple of God, and in so doing, to rebuild the community of God's people in the place where God had intended them to be. So they were on a real mission. So I would also say that they met together to to worship uh, and to pray, and I would say to seek God's blessing and protection on their lives as they move forward in worship. You know, and there's a real message for us there today, isn't there? I think that if we, if we plan, if we have plans for mission, plans to see God's kingdom here in Lim or wherever, that we, we come together to worship, to put God in his rightful place right at the outset and to seek his blessing and protection on all that we, all that we do. There's one interesting point I, I couldn't help but think when I looked at this, is that when you look back further into the Old Testament, how meticulous attention was paid uh, uh, to the detail of the temple and the regulations of worship. There's huge emphasis put on that in the early books of the Old Testament. Uh, and yet here, in this scenario, they didn't wait. They didn't wait until everything was sorted. They met in real simplicity and they gathered amongst the mess and the rubble of the former temple with just that one purpose, to meet with God, to worship God and to seek his blessing. I just wonder if I can ask today whether you're holding back on developing your relationship with God because you're perhaps waiting for this or waiting for that or waiting to see if everything's going to get sorted uh, before you feel that you can draw near to God. Are you waiting for something to happen before drawing near to God and fully entering into that relationship that he intended. Indeed, the relationship that Christ died to make possible for us. If that's you, then God's unequivocal word for you today is don't hold back. Don't hold back. He says to you today, come, draw near in your doubts, in your fear, in your mess, maybe in your indifference, in your busyness, whatever it is that's holding you back, you can picture God like the father of the prodigal son today, 
with his welcoming arms outstretched. And today God says, don't wait a minute longer. Don't wait a day longer. Come and draw near to me today. If God's speaking to you today just in that little bit there, don't ignore it. Don't go away. Draw near to God today. And why is that important? I think the reason it's important is that it's from a place of worship, from a place of nearness, from a place of communion with God, that then and only then can we move forward in what God wants us to do. And to be the people and to do the things that God is calling us to do here today. The next part we see is in verse 3. If we look at verse 3 briefly. And I've just entitled it briefly, Dealing with Fear. In verse 3, the people were all gathered together. And it says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and the evening sacrifices, and then it goes on through to uh, the end of verse 6, dealing with the, the different sacrifices there. So we can see right from the outset of verse 3 that actually this wasn't plain sailing. Despite all the difficulties they'd had in, in getting there, in establishing home, in surviving, basically, we also read here that they were fearful. The people were fearful of the other people around. It doesn't say who they were. There's no clues really as to who these people were. Maybe someone can enlighten me afterwards if, if you know, but I couldn't find it. Uh, so it doesn't say who or why. And I thought when I read that, it'd be very easy uh, for me to sort of just glibly say what some of you are probably expecting me to say, actually, that, uh, you know, fear not is the most common uh, phrase in the Bible, which is true. And just to put your fear aside, just forget about it. Just, you know, just, just pretend it's not there. Fear not. You know, be bold, be brave there. But I don't know if you're anything like me, but that's easier said than done in many cases. And if I'm honest, and perhaps particularly when it comes to sharing my faith with people, I would say that fear is probably one of the biggest limiting factors in my life. Okay, I don't know whether you're anything like me, but for me, fear can be one of the greatest limiting factors. Primarily, you know, we think of fear about what people might think about us, how they might respond, what they might say to other people. All these things were around uh, in our minds there. And I'm sure, actually, that they're actually a lot greater in our minds than they are in reality. We, we, we can tend to sometimes build these things up uh, in our minds to something perhaps bigger and greater than they are. But that doesn't take away from the fact that these things are very real. They are real fears. That said, though, and even though my fears are genuine, God's word is very clear that they can and indeed should 
be overcome. And there's a real common theme, actually, when you're looking in the Bible and when you look at these phrases of where, where it says, fear not, you know, do not fear, overcome. There's one, one common pattern, actually, with all of that. And most of it is that that will happen when we take our focus off ourselves and put our focus on him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Another really interesting verse I I found as well, which is I thought was so related to these people of Israel who had been led by God's Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, it says... Those who are led by the Spirit by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Think back to the, the very start of Ezra. These people, the, the, the king there had, had been led by the Spirit to release these people. And we, we read in verse 1 before that the people had been led by the Spirit of God, those who had been led by the Spirit of God. And here in Romans, it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but received the spirit of sonship. We're sons and daughters, we're children of the living, almighty, creator God. Wow. And the first three begins with the words, despite their fear, these people knew that they were being led by the Spirit of God and that they were no longer slaves to fear, but were the children, the chosen children of God. And that's who we are today, the chosen children of God. I think from that, though, if we're serious about building God's kingdom here in Lim, or wherever you work, we're going to face opposition. I think opposition is a real reality for us if we're serious about building God's kingdom here. Um, I'll just share a very brief brief story with you. In the uh, preparations for the rock conversation, uh, that we had, um, I uh, had a, 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 a. I'm on an email uh, address chain, if you like, um, for various people in not not in the church, but throughout the village, uh, who I know are sort of involved in community things and the youth centre, uh, and and people sometimes I get emails about oh this this or that going on. So I thought, well, oh, actually I'll send one out about the rock conversation then to. Uh, all these people. I was a bit nervous and hesitant about it, but I thought, no, actually, I'll, I'll do this. Um, and I uh, went ahead and did it, and uh, one email pinged back to me from uh, one of the parish councillors in Lim. I'll not name any names. Um, but it just said this. It said, uh, can I just confirm, can you just confirm, 
Is Rock an evangelical Christian Cayman organisation seeking to redeem Lim? Full stop. Or question mark, rather. Who knows what a Cayman is? Does anyone know what a Cayman is? No? Don't, don't be embarrassed. I had to look it up as well. Anybody? Sorry? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A Cayman is a type of alligator or a predator, I guess you would say. Okay, so I thought, wow, that was uh, swift, but a swift opposition there. Um, so I, I responded, say, you know, they are a Christian organisation, etc., but their the other primary objective is to bring the community together with this. And he he copied two other people into this email, and one of them for sure was someone that I was really praying would come to the rock conversation. He's the guy who does so much in the community, the the youth and community centre, more than anybody there. Um, again, I'll not name names, but he's he's a fantastic guy. Um, and I thought, oh no, is he going to be put off by this? Um, so I prayed for it and. It was fantastic to see that whilst the guy who sent the email back sort of said he couldn't come, both the other two people who were copied in, including this guy who I was really praying would be there, were there. You know, and it's a fantastic example of, you know, just sometimes when we step out, we're going to get some opposition, for sure we are. But actually, do you know, we just have to do it sometimes. And God will honour, I think God will honour that uh, that stepping out in faith and doing these things. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, hopefully we're not a Cayman organisation as well. But, uh, yeah. But there's a lesson there for me in that, that despite our fears, uh, God will work his purposes through us if we allow him to, uh, to do so. Just going to jump on now to, uh, to verse 7. Verse 7. Uh, and I've just titled this Time for Action. <clears throat> In verse 7, we see a further expression of worship, really, is the people gave and prepared to enable the work to proceed. So in verse 7, it says, Then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorised by Cyrus, king of Persia. So just pause there very briefly to recap. So the people have been have, have, have moved by the Spirit of God. They've committed to the mission. They've engaged in worship, and they've planned and they've given financially. But at some point, the physical work had to start. And sometimes, I, I, I feel sometimes with some things, we sort of go so far and then pause before actually stepping out and getting on with the real work that, uh, that God wants us to start. And in verse 8, we then read, In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shelety, and Joshua, son of Zedek, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all, all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. 
appointing Levites 20 years and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. When I, uh, when I thought of this, I actually thought of uh, rebuild. My mind actually went to uh, the teams that have gone out to either Mexico or South Africa doing the rebuild and where you get these photos and reports that come back um, from there. Because what you've got there is a real mixed bunch of people uh, with a few leaders, uh, most of them doing work that they've never done before and never even thought of doing before and probably will never even do again. But they all, they're all there getting stuck in all towards the goal of building this house for this homeless family after the two-week period. They're all there with that goal in mind. And it must have been a similar experience, I think, for the children of Israel as they set about laying the foundations for the new temple. Uh, and in the same way that the rebuild team, at the end of it here, have got these, uh, I, I managed to grab a few photos uh, that I think Phil or somebody sent through uh, towards the end there of the both groups at both houses there celebrating the work uh, that had been done. <clears throat> the completion of the project. In verse 10, we read this. And we'll read actually through to, uh, from here now, through to the end. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets and, Le- and, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as described by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of the joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So we can picture the scene here. I want you to picture the scene here. 50,000 people, not sort of about 30 or so there, great though it is, but this is a crowd of 50,000 people together with trumpets and cymbals and offering this great throng of praise to God. But actually in and amongst all of that, just look at verse 12. Just look at verse 12 with me again here. Verse 12 says... uh, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. What's happening there? I thought, why? What's going on there? That in amongst all this praise, we suddenly have this crowd of people who are weeping aloud and weeping Not for joy, actually. They're not weeping for joy, these people. They're weeping with sadness. This older generation, I thought, is it the the trumpets and the cymbals? No, I don't think it was any of that at all, actually. 
when I was trying to look into this, I was trying to understand why it might be. And there were two reasons that came out of that. The first one is that the foundations of the new temple were much smaller than the original temple. And it's thought that the site and the, the site of the new smaller temple foundations, the much simpler foundations there, reminded this older generation who had seen the original temple. It reminded them of the grandeur of the former temple built by, built by Solomon with the great wealth that God had blessed him with. And some were perhaps wishing then at that point, some were perhaps wishing when they just saw this smaller footprint of the foundations, they were perhaps wishing that they could turn back the clock to the good old days of the old temple. Does anyone here ever wish they could do that? Does anyone here ever wish they could turn the clock back to the good old days? show my age here. When I, when, I, when I was just looking at that, I remember, did anyone remember a program that used to be on years ago called The Good Old Days? God, that's frightening, isn't it? Yeah? Deary me. Um, don't Google that one, by the way. If you've not heard of it, don't. don't. But, uh, yeah, this, these people were probably wishing they could turn the clock back uh, to the good old days. But I don't believe for a minute, actually, that God wants us to do that. God doesn't want us to live in the past. That was the job for the past generations. God wants us to live for him here and now. God wants us to live for him in the present. He wants wants us to live for him where you are and in the circumstances that you find yourself in today. Living in the present for him. But with our eyes on eternity. Why? Very, very simple actually. Because nobody from the past or the future, nobody from a different place or in different circumstances can live your life for God's glory. I can't. The person next to you can't. Your grandparents can't. The only person that can is you. And you were called, believe it or not, the Bible tells us that we were called by name. We were called individually for such a time as this to be Jesus' hands and feet and to be salt and light in Lim, in Highley, in Fellwall, in Grappenhall, Stockton Heath, Appleton, Caddishead, you know, wherever you are and with whoever you spend time, take this home with you today. God has called you for such a time as this to be his person in your lives, in your community, where God has set you today. And nobody else, nobody else can do that, only you. That's a great privilege and a great joy, actually. And finally, the other explanation that I came across for the older generation weeping is that they were weeping for the lost years. They were weeping for the lost years. In their case, it was 70 lost years in exile 
caused by their sinfulness against God. It was lost years in a place that was far away from God had intended them to be. It was lost years in captivity. It was lost years under the authority of a worldly regime where God was not present. Rather than enjoying the fullness of life in God's presence. You get the gist. And I guess I don't probably need to say any more really about the lost years. Apart from the obvious question is where are you today? Where are you planning on being next week? Where are you planning on being next year? Do you know, sometimes we have to be intentional about these things. And just as we draw to a a close, my hope and my prayer for each one of us is that when we approach the allotted time on earth that God has given to us, be that in one year, 10 years, 50 years, maybe even 100 years, who knows. But whenever that is, my prayer is that we will not be found weeping for the lost years. For lost years. But rather, that through drawing near to him today and every day and seizing the day for his kingdom, that we will actually, rather than being found weeping for the lost years, will be found rejoicing in a race well run, which is what we're really called to do. So let that be our prayer today, uh, to not waste a day, not waste a moment, to draw near to God and to seize the day each day for his kingdom. So that when we get there, when we arrive, we'll get that... Uh, That message, well done, good and faithful servant. You've run a good race. Amen. Amen. Amen.